Fighting for freedom every day. Republicans right now, the conservatives, which unfortunately, this is what we have to do every time, even after a vote where people are sick and tired of the establishment, they're sick and tired of the squeezy, middle-of-the-road, squishy kind of Republican rhinos, and we vote conservatives in, then we have to fight tooth and nail in D.C. to actually be heard within the Republican Party. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Hey, darn right it is. Welcome into the program. Oh, man. What a fun one it was last night. Did you get the popcorn? Did you play your drinking game? Yeah, we have to talk about it. We can't not talk about the fun shenanigans that happened last night with the uh, (laughs) town hall. The attempted vicious personal attacks against the former president of the United States against CNN. There were two takeaways from that, and we're not going to spend the entire program on it, but I found it kind of interesting. There were two takeaways from last night. Number one, it did not change anybody's mind either for or against Donald Trump at all, which was validated by the viewers and the uh, crowd or the people that were doing the polling after the event on CNN that they questioned. Number two, that I didn't realize that the media could look more pathetic than they already did. (laughs) I didn't realize they could look worse than what they already did. They were pathetic, especially CNN, but then every other media outlet that covered it thereafter trying to respond and do their journalistic review of what happened on the town hall last night we'll break it down we have a lot of audio to play for you today from that and a heck of a lot more as well as we also get down to the debt ceiling debate title 42 officially over as well we'll get an update from going on at the southern border and a heck of a lot more on the program welcome into it what's up it's a pre-friday celebration broadcasting live out of the heart of the nation here in wichita kansas on our flagship radio station we are all over the country multiple radio stations tv live streaming podcasting however you watch or listen to the show We love you to death, your Millennial General, reporting for duty like we do every single day. We have a fun one. Uh, Jonathan Williams, he is the chief economist for ALEC, the American Legislative Exchange Council. Uh, He'll be joining the program at the bottom of the hour. We're going to talk about economic rankings by state uh, based on certain curriculum, certain values, certain uh, standards that they look at for their ratings, and where do states fall in line for their economic preparedness, I guess we could say, their economic outlook right now. Uh, We'll look at different industries, we'll look at their debts, we'll look at their tax rates, their dependency on the federal government, and how do they rate across the nation. Obviously, there's a mad exodus from Democrat-run states that have really, really high tax rates going to conservative Republican states that have really, really low tax rates. I I know that's a shocker for some. Wait a second, what? Hold on here. That's breaking news, man. That's breaking news. But nonetheless, that's what's happening, so we'll figure out why and what's going on around the country so we'll get into that here in just a little bit but of course we got it we have to play it man did you watch it last night i didn't even i forgot all about it honestly until it uh shortly is about starting so i did watch the majority of it and man like i said i really think that the media could not have looked even worse than what i thought they already could have whoever was hosting that which i forget her name was an absolute joke this is supposed to be a town hall now look you know this program And you know the way I do things on this show. I've had Democrats on the program. I've had Democrat candidates on the program for years. And whoever is my guest, whether I agree or disagree with them, it is their floor at that time. If they know going into it, it's supposed to be a debate, then we'll square off and we'll debate. And we'll call them out on stuff. And, you know, we try and hold them in line a little bit. But at the same time, when they're on, it is their floor. And I do not like to interrupt. 
I want to hear what they have to say because my style of debating, which I understand is completely opposite from what Donald Trump likes to do, my style of debating is to back individuals into a corner by saying things that are factually untrue and then just calling them out on it or asking them questions where they have to defend their position. And if you're able to defend your position, I've said this for years on this show, if you're able to defend your position and it's not just some 130-character tweet from the social media where you're all of a sudden an expert, and then if you can't uh, defend your position beyond that, then you're just automatically a racist or a bigot or a close-minded whatever. If you can actually defend your position, I won't agree with it, but at least I can respect it. And that's the way I've always seen it. Last night's moderator was the absolute proof positive that that is the opposite of what the mainstream media does. They are not there to get information. They are not there to allow the candidate to talk. They're not there to let them just give their opinion, talk about the issue, and then move on and let the voters decide on it. No, no. It was, we're going to shut you down, and it will be our political motive to a T to make sure that you are called out and make sure that we, it's very well aware that we do not like what you're saying. And it was honestly it wasn't upsetting because we went and we knew it going into it. I'm honestly surprised that Donald Trump even agreed to go on CNN uh, because, but I mean, I give him credit for doing so. But he knew what he was going into. And she was, as Donald Trump said, a very nasty woman. She was very harsh. She was very interruptive. She came off as non journalistic in any way, shape, or form. And it was embarrassing. Now, I say embarrassing because CNN already has very low standards for themselves, but it was even for their standards was very embarrassing with what happened last night. So, uh, it, But it showed at the end of the day, and they really did embarrass themselves, which we'll play some of it afterwards with those that were sitting there uh, that were in the crowd and what their thoughts were at the end. But everybody, 100% of even their own viewers on CNN agreed that it did not change their opinion, either supporting Donald Trump or not supporting Donald Trump at the end of the day. And I'm not here to say... Donald Trump's right, they're wrong, or vice versa. I'm here to say that it did not change anybody's opinion last night on whether they liked him or didn't like him. It did not change their opinion on whether they liked the CNN reporting in the town hall hosted by CNN or whether they didn't. It didn't do anything. In fact, if anything, we saw a slight bump in Donald Trump's polls, which we saw late last night and early this morning, where he's floating above 50% for overall approval of the American public to want him to be the Republican presidential candidate, which I find quite fascinating. We'll get into that here in just a little bit. Uh, I don't want to go a whole lot into the actual policy issues that he talked about because, again, we already know most of them. I did find it interesting, though, when it came to the Ukrainian issue that, again, the, the the mindset of the mainstream media, and really for most of the general public right now, is either you're for or against. You're either for Ukraine or you're for Russia. Either you're for uh, Ukraine winning the war or you're against Ukraine winning the war. And you want Russia to come in and end all these bio labs and everything else that uh, you know has been talked about. So you're either for it or you're against it. And that's a very small-minded mindset for this issue, because it goes a lot deeper, obviously, than that. Do we want the conflict? No. Do we need to be funding it? Absolutely not, the way that we are, at least. And that's exactly what Donald Trump said last night, and she couldn't quite grasp that concept. If I'm president, I will have that war settled in one day, 24 hours. How would you settle that war in one day? First, I'll meet with Putin. I'll meet with Zelensky. They both have weaknesses and they both have strengths. And within 24 hours, that war will be settled. It'll be over. It'll be absolutely over. Do you over. want Ukraine to win this war? Okay, uh, before, right there. <laughs> right there. That's it. Do you want Ukraine to win the war? 
Because, again, that's either for you or against. You're either for it or you're against it. One or the other, you can't have it and just say, let's just stop the firing and the killing and the and the war. You can't say that. You have to stand for a position. What side are you on, Mr. President? Uh, I don't think in terms of winning and losing. I think in terms of getting it settled so we stop killing all these people and breaking down this, this country. Now, You but said one you of the don't think you in have terms to do is you have losing. to get the, you have Mr. to President, get Europe. Can I just follow up on that because that's a really important no, excuse statement me, let me that just you just made up. there. Can you say if you want <laughs> Ukraine or Russia to win this war? I want everybody to stop dying. They're dying. Russians and Ukrainians. I want them to stop dying. I don't know why that's a bad position. We don't have to have a quote winner or loser. A winner for Russia means they consume all of Ukraine. A winner for the Ukraine means, as of right now, with the way that it is, that Ukraine continues to uh, wash funds for the United States under the corrupt Biden administration, which they've been doing for years, and Hunter Biden and the entire Biden family, and they push Russia back, and then they get their whatever else that they're doing. I mean, I guess you could say the winning would be for them to push Russia back to their original boundaries, uh, which would be nice. And yeah, I would support something like that, but continue on with what they've been doing, which is... Uh, a whole lot of socialist propaganda over there as well. So there's not a winner at all in that situation, and CNN is just not intelligent enough to understand it. Obviously, the big uh, audio clip that everybody's been playing has been when Donald Trump went after her, and rightfully so, because like we said, uh, she was not professional in any way she performed during this entire event. When it comes to your documents, did you ever show those classified documents to anyone? Not really. I would have the right to. By the way, they were declassified after. Not not that I can think of. Let me just tell you, I have the absolute right to do whatever I want with them. I have the right. I was negotiating with NARA. Do you know what NARA is? The National Archives. Extremely, extremely left group of people. Extremely left. And I was negotiating with them. All of a sudden, they raided my house. They didn't raid the house of Joe Biden. They didn't raid Obama. But Joe Biden didn't ignore a subpoena to get those documents back like Joe you Biden did. And took so that's 1850 the question. But that's the question that investigators have, I think, is why you held on to those documents when you knew the federal government was seeking them and then had given you a subpoena to return them. Are you them. ready? Are you ready? Can I talk? Yeah, what's you the mind? answer? Can I, do you mind? I would like for you to answer the question. Okay, it's very simple to answer. That's why I asked it. It's very simple to You're a nasty person, I'll tell you. Again, whether you love Donald Trump or hate Donald Trump, that's why a lot of people flocked to Donald Trump. Because he don't care. Donald Trump just don't care. He will call you out no matter what, and that's why people absolutely love him. You are fake news. I mean, that's what it's all about. You're nasty. Don't try to belittle me. Don't try to be the shock and awe with me. It's not going to work because, again, the New Yorker that's in him, he's just going to be the brass kind of guy. And a lot of people like that. Even if you don't agree with his policy, some people just love the fact that he does that because he was the guy that waltzed into Washington, D.C., overturned the tables, didn't want to just go along with the status quo, go along with the guidelines of how Washington, D.C. is supposed to operate, and the American people loved that, or a vast majority of the American people loved that because that's just a good way to operate for people who are fed up with Washington, D.C., and he showed that very well again last night. I'm sure solidifying a lot of the support that may have been waffling because they haven't seen him do that in a while. Do you still have any classified documents in your possession? Are you ready? Do you? No, no, I don't have anything. 
I have no classified documents. And by the way, they become automatically declassified when I took them. But no, you why? Have to declassify let me them. ask you a question. Why is it that Biden had nine boxes in Chinatown? And he gets a lot of money from China. Why is that? And there why, no why aren't that. people? There's no evidence of that. There's no evidence of that. Let's just go ahead and move on. I don't know if you've noticed or not. If you try and go online, you cannot find the entire full-length town hall from them. They chopped it up into little bits, and I don't know what's because they didn't like some of the answers that were talked about. They didn't want to bring it up. Maybe they were afraid of falling into their own algorithms of hashtag fake news just because of some of the content that he had said and some of the things that he did. But you cannot find the entire full-length town hall discussion from last night. You can only go to CNN's website and find little choppy bits of it. And then their experts, I use experts in a very loosey-goosey term here, so don't get me wrong. They're quote-unquote experts uh, talking about all the misinformation that Donald Trump tried to spread last night. You are fake news. Yeah. Kind of pathetic. Now, here's the thing, and we'll, it's, uh, how much time? No, we don't have enough time, so we'll do it when we come back here from the break. The interesting part was that CNN made themselves look foolish thereafter, and here's what I mean. Afterwards, the crowd did a poll and talked about the important issues where all of them raised their hand saying it did not change their opinion, either as a Trump voter or a non-Trump voter, a Republican or a Democrat, or an unaffiliated that either supported or did not support Donald Trump. Nobody's minds were made up. While in the midst of trying to ask them why Donald Trump continues to lie and whether they support a guy who continues to lie, they got called out on their own network by their own supporters by saying, why are we still talking about this garbage, especially when it comes to the election from 2020, showing that all Americans on both sides of the aisle are sick and tired of talking about January 6th and sick and tired of talking about the 2020 election. We're four years later, three years going to be four years later for the election. We want to talk about this election, not the last one. And the media just got owned on their own network. Kind of fun to watch. We'll do that when we come back. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Darn right it is. Welcome back into the program. 24 minutes past the hour. Radio, TV, live streaming, podcasting. So after the town hall, I find that more interesting than the town hall itself. We knew what was going to go into Donald Trump was going to be Donald Trump. CNN was going to be CNN. Why they even partnered together to do the town hall was fascinating to me uh, at all. But what was more interesting to me was the post Debate, And yes, I call it a debate because that's all they did with the snarkiness. I mean, that lady, I don't even care what her name is. That lady, to me, rubbed the same way that Kamala Harris rubs off on individuals. The way that Hillary Clinton rubs off on individuals where you're just like, but nonetheless, uh, the town hall itself wasn't to me the most interesting part. The most interesting part was thereafter. When CNN try, and I gotta, I guess, give them small uh, kudos where they tried to show that look, we even have Donald Trump supporters in the crowd to talk about the issues that are important to them, in hopes of saying, "Wow, they totally changed." I can't believe that guy. He's still on this whole 2020 issue. That he's on this whole thing. We are sick and tired of hearing about this. I am changing my vote, and I'm not supporting him. That was their hope. That was their hope because they wanted to try and show, oh look, people are turning on Donald Trump because of what we're trying to get to them. And it backfired on them big time. 
it backfired because they looked more embarrassing than they had ever done before with the Post coverage and talking to these individuals. First thing I want to ask you about, Donald Trump, we have to be blunt about it, is not a truth teller. That's the way he's always been when he was a businessman, when he's been a politician. Wow. Again, not even trying to hide it, man. He's not a truth teller. He's a liar. We already know what he was doing as a business and politician. Blah, blah, blah. He's a liar. He knows that. Again, just cramming that agenda down the throat. Not like, hey, what do you think? Do you think he's lying? What's your thoughts on it? No, no. He's a liar. We know it's fact. Proof positive. And anyone that says anything different is a liar, too. He has lied about the 2020 election. Stuffed ballot boxes. It's all made up. He's lost dozens of court cases. Does it bother you that he keeps talking about 2020 and not 2024? I'll ask you first. This is Jonathan Leslie. He's 40, Republican, voted for Trump twice. How do you feel about those lies? So, <laughs> How do you feel about those lies? Again, not, hey, do you think that's false? What's your thoughts? Do you think he should keep talking about it? No, no. Again, this is, journal- this is what goes off as journalism today, man. How do you feel about those lies? So I feel like part of it's also the media narrative as you guys asked him the first question at the town hall about the 2020 election rather than current stuff. So don't you think he could say it's time for me to start talking about 2024 and not lies that aren't true? Couldn't the media ask him a question about 2024? Well, there were questions, but you're right. That was the first thing, but that's something that was on our mind. Fail. Mm, that one hurts. That one hurts a little bit. Couldn't you ask him? Like, he talks about 2020 because you're asking him about 2020. Well, don't you think you should stop talking about it? Well, yeah, shouldn't you stop asking questions about it? Well, it was top of mind, but we did talk about other things. But, yeah, we did kind of mention that as the first one. Well done. Well done. That wasn't the end of it, though. Oh, it got worse. Personally, I'm getting tired of hearing about it. I'm very much more so interested in the problems that we face now, and I would prefer to hear him discuss the present issues more so than going to the past. Okay. Do you, do you think so? That it was, that it was a rigged election? I'll abstain. You'll abstain? Okay. What do you think? <laughs> I'll abstain. Okay. Move on. All right, we actually have a guy that believes this stuff. Hold on a second. Move on. He can't call him a liar right to his face. He can call Donald Trump one. Can't call his supporters that. What do you feel about the continuation of these lies about 2020? You know, I don't know what's a lie anymore, but I think there needs to be a new narrative. And what's the new narrative? Current, current situations that are, you know, involving all of us. Current situations. But when you say you don't know what's a lie, a lie is a lie. I mean, all these courts have said that there's a... One of the stuffed ballot things he's talking about was in Fulton County, Georgia. No stuffed ballots. I was there. I was watching with my own eyes. I mean, none of it's true. Um, I'd like him to move on. I would like him to stop talking about it, but it is his opinion. So you have to attach that caveat lie all the time. It just keeps it going. So it's his opinion, and he has a right to have it. Zing! Putting it right back into the face of CNN. I wonder if they're ashamed of themselves. You think so? When Reason Meets Radio, this is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Welcome back into the program. Thanks for hanging out today on your pre-Friday celebration. The showdown. Donald Trump, CNN. Did it change your minds, anybody? One way or the other, supporting Trump, not supporting Trump, liking... uh, (laughs) 
if anything, I think CNN just looked again more foolish. Hey, hey, how about those sexual assault cases that Donald Trump had to pay? Hey, women in the crowd, what'd you think of that one? I didn't really care. Why didn't you care? I don't know enough about the case. Um, women can be victims of abuse. Women can also make up stories. I mean, we see it all yeah, the time. I mean, so I don't know. All of these situations where people are coming out 20, 30 years later, I don't listen to it. <laughs> another, another failure. Sorry there, CNN. Didn't quite work out the way you wanted to because that's been your headline story for a while now. Is Look how bad Donald Trump is and the American people. It didn't change your opinion on it. Even on CNN, like him or dislike him, they are sick and tired of you bringing up the 2020 election, and they don't care about his personal issues like you're trying to do that self-sabotaging. So well done. You just made yourself look even more foolish than I ever thought you possibly could. I love it. Let's shift gears a little bit here, shall we? What's trending today? I love this next organization. Love to have them on as we talk. There's been a report, and it's a couple weeks that's come out, where the rich states, poor states, how are states doing economically, financially, going into 2023 and under the Biden administration right now? Obviously, after the 10th interest rate hike from the Federal Reserve, because that's obviously the only way that we can battle inflation across the nation. And I say that with sarcasm. Uh, the Wall Street Journal we talked about it briefly yesterday, came out with their poll showing that well over 50 to 60 percent of Americans say the best way to stop inflation would maybe to stop printing money. But that's not OK for them. Can't do that. Can't do that. The only way, only way to battle it is to raise interest rates and just price people out of the market, because that apparently is the right way to do it. We'll get to that in a second. But uh, when it comes to the statewide levels, how are states handling? the economy right now, preparing for the potential recession in 2023, the supply chain issues, the post-COVID economy that we're in. How do we look moving forward right now? Excited to have on the program. He's the chief economist for ALEC, the American Legislative Exchange Council, Mr. Jonathan Williams. John, how are you, my friend? Well, doing well. Thanks for having me, and greetings from this land of make-believe out here in Washington, D.C. Oh, I, I have to give you kudos to live out there, because as beautiful as it is, I don't know what's in the air, but there are some crazy things going on out there right now. <laughs> well, it's not only just what's in the air, it's all the hot air, and that's, uh, that's part of the problem, right? <laughs> there is that. There is that. I want to pick your brain about the debt ceiling and, and uh, inflation stuff in just a minute, but uh, you guys always come out with this rich state, poor state report. Uh, for how states are doing financially. And there's a lot of different factors that you guys look at based on federal dependency, tax rates, the size of government, spending, that sort of thing. But overall, as a general gist, how are states doing? Are we faring okay or are we becoming more and more um, irrelevant as a state and just relying on the federal government to do things for us? Well, you know, there's a couple of ways to answer that. You know, first of all, you know, states are doing relatively well financially right now because they've uh, almost all got surpluses outside of places like California and New York, where they figured out ways to spend money even faster than all the Biden bucks coming in and all the surplus dollars coming in. And that's a real uh, skill, I guess, if you want to call it that, uh, just because there's so much money sitting out there in state budgets washing around. Uh, these, as a fiscal conservative myself, these are kind of dangerous times, right? And we have to be very careful. States don't overextend themselves and overspend right now. Uh, we know that the recession is coming at some point, and, uh, you know, I think this is a really important moment in state capitals all across the country for those that are, you know, wise that would say, hey, let's let's not make the mistakes of the past like we saw during the financial crisis and get into this situation where then we go to Washington, D.C. and ask for a bailout of the states like the big blue states are, you know, did uh, just a couple of years ago. And, you know, I think that is my overall fear, though, 
Andy, is that you know states uh, would become overly dependent on the federal government, and it seemed like that, you know, that's just the natural inclination of things in Washington D.C. is to try to take power and federalize it, not uh, abide by this idea of the founders that these uh, decisions ought to be made at the state and local level. But you know there are a lot of folks here in Washington D.C. and both parties that would love to centralize power in Washington, and I think that's inherently a dangerous thing for all of us. Yeah, that is very true. I'm just throwing it out, and I have your website up here, which people can find at richstatespoorstates.org, and they can find the entire report and everything that you have here. Uh, And just kind of briefly glancing through this, but I'm guessing that the majority of the quote-unquote worst states that are in financial situations right now are some of those that are run by the other side of the aisle. And the reason I say that is I'm guessing states like California who are trying to push for $5 billion worth of reparations or $500 billion, however much it's going to cost, uh, and those types of policies, probably not the most economically smart decisions that they could make. No, I mean, it's it's absolutely economic malpractice what's happening at the bottom, you know, 10 states, really, in rich states, poor states, New York, 50th out of 50, California, certainly in that list, Illinois, New Jersey, Minnesota, states that are not going to surprise any of your listeners. I mean, they're following what Ronald Reagan always warned us of. You know, the liberal view of the economy could be summed up as this. If it moves, tax it. If it keeps moving, regulate it. If it stops moving, subsidize it. (laughs) And for far too long, uh, these states have been following that uh, strategy, if you want to call it that. You know, we've been putting together this report uh, for the last 16 years with Art Laffer and Steve Moore. So we've been able to see kind of the upward mobility of states and the states that have fallen behind. But so many of those states that have followed that big government formula just continue to be stuck in the cellar uh, in the rankings. And of course, it's not just our rankings that show this. You know, the proof's in the pudding. Where are Americans leaving? You know, they're leaving states that have high tax burdens and have these just kind of out of the off the wall progressive policies and they're voting with their feet and they're going to states that really offer more economic freedom. Yeah, that is very true. And I mean, we've seen that report for years over and over again that those high taxing states, California, New York, some of those places, they're leaving in mass right now. The population's dwindling and they're going to those low tax states all over the nation. Uh, so let's talk about that for a second. Right now, what are some of those highest taxing states and where are they going? Well, you know, just uh, was talking to some friends in Illinois today. You know, Illinois is one of those states that, you know, uh, outside of the coast is probably today at Minnesota are probably two of the examples of the Midwestern states that have gone down this progressive path. You know, and Illinois just uh, suffered its worst loss of wealth leaving the state of Illinois at any time in the last 20 years. The IRS just came out with this new data. You've probably talked about it, Andy, uh, where it's not just that we know people are going from state to state. We actually know how much wealth and how much income they're taking with them based on their tax returns. <laughs> and so in the case of Illinois, they've lost something like you know $11 billion of annual gross income that uh, just left Illinois for one of the other 49 states just in the last year of data that we have available. And, and you know that number is small compared to what's left California and what's left uh, New York. And if anything, now with employers needing to give their employees more flexibility of where they want to work and raise a family, you know, these numbers are staggering and they're only growing because of that flexibility. Nobody needs to stay in Manhattan and pay $5,000 a month uh, to live in a uh, single bedroom or efficiency apartment. They can actually go and look for a way to make their lives better off. And that inherently is good for people, but it's going to mean that states need to get it that much better when it comes to policymaking or they risk losing all these businesses and individuals, as we're seeing. Now, I was going to say, that's not just individuals. That's the corporations and businesses as well, isn't it? I mean, we hear 
the big news of uh, you know Tesla with Elon Musk moving away from California, Joe Rogan with his multi-billion-dollar podcast moving out of the state of California. I mean, it's not just individuals, but they're taking their entire business with them. That's right, and those businesses are gone forever in many right? And it's not just tax revenue in one year that they they lose the perpetual tax revenue of all future years once the individual or business leaves the state and goes to another state. And, you know, that's the beauty of states like uh, Texas and Florida, two of the biggest in-migration states, you know, gaining hundreds of thousands of new residents every single year. Uh, these are states that go without a personal income tax altogether, which not only entices the individuals who are the entrepreneurs, but let's not forget almost all the small businesses across America, those that are creating the real new jobs in this country, pay on the individual side of the code. And so getting it right and getting the personal income tax lower or eliminating it is actually one of the smartest things that states can do. Yeah, absolutely. We're talking with Jonathan Williams, chief economist over at ALEC, the American Legislative Exchange Council. You can find the report richstatespoorstates.org. Coming from Kansas, where my flagship radio station is, I know we broadcast in other places as well. But let's talk about the Mid-America region for a second. A lot of agriculture, a lot of manufacturing, a lot of truck driving, a lot of supply chain issues that obviously happened during the COVID-19 pandemic. But Kansas, Nebraska, Oklahoma, Missouri, Arkansas, Colorado, how are these states faring for middle America right now? Well, there's a little bit for everybody there in terms of the good and bad and ugly. Uh, you know, Oklahoma leads the region right now, coming in at number five nationally in our economic outlook ranking, uh, the best state in the Midwest or the Plains to, to get that uh, distinction really in the top five. And uh, they've just had an incredible run in recent years, uh, moving up from 15th about 10 years ago all the way to five. And then you go all the way to Kansas at number 30 for economic outlook. You have Nebraska really being the laggards of the region down at 36. Uh, and then uh, you've seen some really impressive things, I think, out of places like Iowa and uh, Arkansas, though, recently. Arkansas moved up to 15th this year for economic outlook. And while Iowa is still in the 30s, uh, they actually have done some amazing, I think, uh, free market and pro-taxpayer reforms in the last two sessions, where I expect in uh, the next year or two, they're going to skyrocket uh, to a much better ranking. I mean, they were one of the states that went to a flat tax uh, last year. That's, I know, a big uh, topic of debate that just came up short in Topeka this session uh, there in Kansas. But uh, uh, Iowa has cut their income tax rate from over 8% to under 4% over the next couple of years as it phases in. And not to mention the big school choice, education freedom accounts uh, that uh, Governor Reynolds pushed across the finish line early on here in 2023. I think Iowa is one of the hero states of really turning things around. And it's, uh, it's something that I think is going to set up a domino effect for many states across the Midwest. Yeah. And I, the reason I love this report that you guys do is because there's so many factors to this. Like you said, not only with federal dependency, the tax rates, and you're right. I mean, we failed with our flat tax here in Kansas, which was by one vote, one vote in the Senate to overturn that governor's veto, which was pretty frustrating. But there's a lot of different factors here. And it's uh, interesting to see how this all plays out. It's Jonathan Williams. When we come back, I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about the debt ceiling debate. June 1st is that deadline. Are we going to default on our debt at the federal level? We'll do that when we come back right around the corner for The Voice of Reason. Stay this here. Is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Darn right it is. Welcome back into the program. So today was the ending of Title 42. Um, 
can only imagine the madness and chaos and anarchy that's going on down at the southern border. We'll talk some more about that a little bit later, probably tomorrow on the program. Right now, we're talking about some economics. We're hanging out with Jonathan Williams, chief economist for ALEC, the American Legislative Exchange Council. I love this organization, trying to work with states all over the nation to get on the same page and fight for the same great fights. But, uh, John, let's shift gears a little bit. i got to pick your brain on this issue june 1st apparently we're all going to die like it's going to be the end of the world with the federal budget and defaulting on our debts for the first time we're all gonna die because of you so so now we have the uh, debt ceiling looming the biden administration has said that they have a hardline position they have made their stance very clear of what they want out of these negotiations speaker mccarthy offered a very different way forward He's proposed deep cuts that I believe are going to hurt American families. <clears throat> Millions of Americans relying on Medicaid for their health care would be at risk of losing that. Um, okay, so the Republican plan uh, giving the $1.5 trillion uh, to increase on the debt ceiling, but then trying to cap government growth to 1% over the next few years and going back to spending at 2022 levels, which, by the way, were record levels for the government. So I don't know why that's a bad thing, but uh, he's saying that's a non-negotiable start. What's your take on all this is we have just like three weeks before we all die. <laughs> well, you know, it's uh, hey, what I mentioned, D.C. is this land to make believe. And uh, he makes my point better than I ever could right there <laughs> in that clip. Uh, you know, only in Washington, D.C. do we consider a 1% growth in spending a cut. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, that just doesn't work that way anywhere else around the country. I mean, I'm used to working with the great men and women in the state capitals across the country. And Andy, you know, 49 out of the 50 states have such a thing as the balanced budget amendment, right? You cannot overextend yourself. Some are better than others. But I'll tell you what, just some common sense budgeting that works at the city and the state level that everyday hardworking Americans do around their kitchen tables every single week. Uh, that's the kind of common sense we're absolutely lacking in Washington. And for the president and for the, the kind of the left-wing members of Congress uh, that are trying to really gaslight Americans here uh, to suggest that they would lose Social Security or Medicare or Medicaid because Kevin McCarthy and the speaker uh, there in the, in the Republican majority would just like to put some reasonable limits on the growth of spending, uh, that's beyond the pale. And I think most Americans can see through that. I mean, they can see that, you know, it is a crisis of overspending right now that we're facing. Clearly, uh, we're at $32 trillion of national debt. You know, we are suffering from uh, the inflation consequences of overspending in this debt. And we're going to have to pay back that debt once again after suffering these inflation consequences. I think it's the common sense Americans that are paying attention to what's going on absolutely see through this. I mean, the, the sky is not falling. I this is not a uh, another rerun of Chicken Little, as Janet Yellen sometimes sounds like, going around talking about the uh, you know the end of the world as we know it as of June first. There's plenty of federal revenue coming in, record federal revenue. All we need is a little prioritization of how we spend our hardworking taxpayer dollars in this city. Yeah, what a concept. Uh, now, b- the big question is, and just about the last minute, minute and a half we have here, is what do you think the outcome will be? Republicans have a long history, unfortunately, of caving on these issues when it comes to threatening to shut down the government or debt ceiling issues. They talk the tough talk, and that's what the Republicans won on in the House of Representatives in this last election was to get the, the debt under control and spending under control, which is their primary reason why Republicans won many of those elections. So it's top of mind, and I think Kevin McCarthy understands that, but can they stay strong and are they willing to go all the way with the Biden administration until the Democrats, for the first time as long as I can ever remember, actually cave on this issue? 
Well, you know, obviously the inherent advantages are with the bully pulpit or the president of the United States. And, of course, we have a willing uh, national media and corporate media here in D.C. that's going to parrot the talking points of the left on this. So, I mean, there are you know big odds that Kevin McCarthy and conservatives in Congress are up against. Uh, I will have to say, though, given the very slim majorities that uh, Republicans have in the United States House, this was a remarkable feat that he was able to keep that Republican conference together in order to produce something that, you know, not perfect, but an incredible opening bid here. And I think right now it's it's very clear that the House has staked out their position. It's a pro-taxpayer position. The Senate and the President of the United States, it's up to them to come up with a plan and then let's negotiate. Boy, wouldn't that be nice. I love it. And the fact that they came out with the bill first shows that Republicans are willing to sit down and have a conversation. And while that bill may not be perfect, like you said, at least it shows Republicans are doing something. We should be asking the question, Democrats, what are your proposals outside of just let's raise the debt ceiling with no uh, regard to anything else? It's Jonathan Williams, Chief Economist for ALEC, the American Legislative Exchange Council. Again, if you want to see the Rich States, Poor States report, go to richstatespoorstates.org. John, so great to have you on the program, brother. Let's get you back on and do this again real soon. That's the deal. Take care. Hey, you as well, my friend. We'll do it here soon. Back at it tomorrow for a Friday. Until then, podcast up in a little bit. Make sure to be your own voice of reason. Be that catalyst for change. This is The Voice of Reason. I'm Andy Hoosier. We'll see you on the radio.